This is KMTT. Tuesday, Parshat HaShavua, will be delivered by Rav Alex Israel. Anyone who has been reading the past few parashiot will gain the sense that we are reeling from one rebellion, one complaint to the next. It seems like the trouble simply doesn't stop. We started with Kivrota Ta'ava, um, and then Chet Miriam, we moved on to the Meraglim, and now we find ourselves in the rebellion of Korach. And if things don't die out, then the Korach rebellion itself, one of the chief que- chief questions that I have regarding the Korach rebellion, is the fact that the Korach rebellion seems just not to stop. And to... Illustrate this question. I, I will. I will demonstrate it through the psukim. Um, probably everybody has a basic familiarity with the story. The Korach Rebellion is a story about how Am Yisrael rebel against the leadership of Moshe and Aharon. More about that in a few minutes. But the way Moshe um, proves his veracity, his authenticity to the people and that of Aharon, is uh, through two different miracles. Um, the first one is the miracle of the Machtot, or the test of the Machtot, of the firepans, of the Ketoret. He says, Why don't you, Korach, and all of your group take firepans and put fire on them and Ketoret, and you will go to the um, tent of meeting, and whoever is chosen will be fine, and everybody else will be burnt. And in fact, that's exactly what happens. They all um, stand at the entrance to the tent of meeting, and uh, the result of this is that 250 people are killed, and Haron survives. That's the test of the Ketoret. There is a second test, and that is the test which is um, given to Datan and Aviram, um, where they challenge Moshe's um, status as as national leader, and Moshe utters again an, an amazing test. He says, "Through this, you will know that it is God who has sent me to perform all of these things, and that I haven't come up with it." on my own initiative. And he says, if you die like any ordinary person, then Hashem didn't send me. But if God will create something new, and the ground will open up its mouth, and will swallow you, then um, everybody will know that these people have angered God. And in no sooner has Moshe uttered these words, the the, the, the ground simply opens up underneath them, and swallows them down. You know, if we had to try and prove that something was true nowadays, we always wish, we always wish that we would have a, a, an open miracle. We say that if we could have an open miracle, we'd believe in God, we'd do whatever it is, but we don't have miracles today. However, if you look at the story of Korach, you couldn't get a better argument to prove yourself than what uh, Moshe does here. 
we have the argument of the Ketoret, which proves the Aharon. And then we have the earth opening its mouth, which proves Moshe. And yet, what is the reaction to all of this? What happens? Um, the people turn round after all of this, and they complain. It's interesting, even after the Torah has killed the 250 people, Moshe makes a sign, he takes all of the copper from the firepans and puts it as a sort of covering onto the Mizbeach. The people turn around and they say, We don't accept this. Moshe, Aaron, you killed the people of God. And God gets very upset. And a plague starts in the people. Aaron rushes out with the ketoret, with the incense, and saves the people. So once again, we see that Aharon is the leader. Still, the people complain. And, and, and what, what happens? Here we have the final and last test. And the final test is that Aharon's stick, they take the sticks, the staff, of each of the tribal leaders, and they put them all in the Kodesh Kodashim. And only Aaron's staff is the one which flowers and creates um, leaves and flowers and even creates almonds. And now everybody understands that the chosen tribe is the tribe of Levi, the tribe which Moshe and Aaron come from. And we would imagine that everything is fine. In fact, God turns around and says, Keep this staff that it will be an ot livne meri, a sign for future rebels, or to chal tulunatam me'alai velo yamutu, and let their complaints cease from against me that they not die. And Moshe did this, and now we have the final cry of the of the whole story. I'm reading from the end of Perak Yudzayin, Perak Yudzayin pasuk Chavzayin. Moshe But Ben Israel turn around to Moshe and say, Hein gavanu. Avadnu, kulanu avadnu. We are dying. We're lost. We're all lost. Anybody who comes close to the Mishkan is going to die. Are we ever going to stop dying? And the distinct impression that I get from this story is that despite all the efforts of Moshe and Haron, and even Lahavdil despite all the efforts of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, with all of God's best efforts, the people who get the last words are the complainers, are the nation. They talk. I know that Yoni Grossman has a reading of this, that the people are almost stuttering. Hashem Yamutaim Tamulikvoa as if if the people are terrified, but I'm not sure that it's terror. I think the people are still disgruntled, they are unsatisfied, the problems are unresolved at the end of the story. And here we have a a very, very serious situation whereby we have a revolt, a rebellion, which won't die down. And I say these comments thinking in my mind even of the current rebellions which are taking place around the world, um, which also won't die down. 
And uh, the question is, why won't they die down? Why can't a Kodesh Baruch Hu, why is it that the various miracles which God makes, the miracle of the Ketoret, and the miracle of the ground opening up, and the miracle of the um, flowering staff of Aharon, how is it that all these amazing miracles don't, don't snuff this out? It should be finished, gone. What's going on? So, I would like to address this problem today and try and make some sense of order in the Parsha in the course of this, and hopefully we will develop some answers and uh, see what we can do. Um, in order to develop some answers, I think we have to understand what the problem of Korach is. What's um, the complaint which constitutes Korach's rebellion? And here I would like to relate to, I think, what is already famous ideas, that there are essentially um, two central factions, two rebellions which take place, um, which somehow are joined together by the masterful Korach, who seems to be a fabulous uh, leader to take distinct uh, malcontents, groups of people with actually quite um, differing agendas, but he manages to weave them into a single um, revolt. And uh, since he has a rallying cry which manages to gain the attention of people with, with, with very different agendas, he manages to garner enough support to, to, to make a real splash. What are the different uh, factions here? Well, if we open the parsha, we understand, first of all, that um, some of the people who are complaining are already Levim. We have Korach himself, who is a Levi. Later on, Moshe talks about Shimu na b'nei Levi. Listen here, you sons of Levi, he says to them. Isn't it enough? Ha'ma'at mikem ki yivdil Elohei Yisrael etchem ada Yisrael la'kriv etchem elav la'avod et al-avodat ha'mishkan. Isn't it enough that you, Levim, have been separated out to worship in the Mishkan? Do you then seek to gain the priesthood? And uh, what I think is happening here is that we're seeing a situation in which we have a group of Levim who are complaining about the role of Aharon. They are complaining about Aharon's role. They want to be Kohanim. And it is for this reason that the test which they have is the test of the Ketoret. The Ketoret is brought by the um, by the Kohanim. And uh, these are a group of Levites. They seek to be priests. They don't understand why it only needs to be the family of Aharon who do the temple worship. Essentially, what are, what are the Levim? They're the guards. They're the schleppers. The Kohanim have all the nice uniforms. The Levim have no uniforms. The Levim say, we are second class. We are the lackeys. We are the porters. We are the servants. And you get all of the prestige. Why should we not be Kohanim? We want to bring the Ketoret. Um, and Moshe says to them, you know, what's your problem? You're, you're already Levim. You're separate from Am Israel. You're on a higher level. What are you complaining about? But here we see that the first rebellion is uh, emerges out of the out of the Levium themselves. That's one one group. Um, it could be that uh, 
Okay, we will we will return to this in a second. A second group. A second group, and by the way, here the challenge is to Aharon. Aharon is targeted according to this. Why is Aharon special? We all want to be special. And this is led by, as I say, a group of Levim. But there is a different group, and that is the the set of Datan Laviram. Datan Laviram are not Levim. They are uh, from the tribe of Ruvain. And uh, what are they upset about? It seems like they deliberately attack Moshe for his leadership and his failed leadership. And their language is amazing. Moshe summons them. They say we won't come to the meeting. The word Allah going up is, is very poignant here because their problem is uh, that they haven't gone to Eretz Israel. They say, Hama'at, isn't it bad enough? Ki he'elitanu, he'elitanu, you have brought us up. Me'eretz zavat chalavudvash, you've taken us out of a land flowing with milk and honey, i.e. out of Egypt, which they call the land flowing with milk and honey, the land of plenty. L'hamitenu ba'midbar, to bring us to this desert, to this wilderness, this deserted place. Ki tistarer, alenu gamistarer. Achloel eretz zavat you really want to be the leader still? And you haven't brought us to an Eretz Zavat Chalavudvash. You haven't given us our farms. You haven't given us our vineyards. The words begin, You can't blind people. Moshe, you are a failed leader. It's interesting they use this terminology of La'alot because the punishment they get, Datana Aviram, is that they go down. They're complaining all the time they're not going up. But eventually, the phrase used here is, um, they go down alive, down into the into their death. Um, again, what is their complaint? So their complaint seems very, very tied to the problem of the Muraglim, and the fact that they are now stuck in the Midbar for another generation. And they anticipated leaving civilization in order to go to another civilization. They now find themselves in a wilderness. And this is uh, terrible for them. This is irksome for them. And they're, uh, they're not blaming themselves. And this is going to be critical. They don't blame themselves. Instead, they blame uh, Moshe as a failed leader. And they expect him to take um, ministerial responsibility for his uh, leadership failure of the Muraglim. Now this is fascinating because we actually have a machloket between the Ibn Ezra and the Ramban. The Ibn Ezra and the Ramban as to when the story of the um, Muraglim took place. Uh, when the story of Korach took place. When did this rebellion actually happen? Um, it's a fascinating question. And um, I think it relates exactly to this problem. The Ibn Ezra says that the immediate uh, situation which instigated the Korach rebellion was the switching of the Levim with the Bukhorim. The, as, as, you, as you probably know, uh, we, we understand that the leaders who were the religious uh, representatives before this point in the Midbar were actually the Bukhorim. Every family had a firstborn. 
don't know if it was the firstborn of the whole clan. We're talking about, uh, you know, wide family units, not necessarily just a nuclear family. And they would have a Bukhar, a patriarch of some sort, and he would bring all of the sacrifices on the part of the family. And maybe this goes to the heart of the uh, contest for the Bukhara and Sefer Bereshit. However, um, at the beginning in Parshat Bamidbar, we see, and later on Baharotcha, we see that the Bukharim are switched with the Levim, and now the Levim become part, uh, become the serve, serve in the Mishkan, and the Bukharim are discarded, they lose their status. Now, here I should mention that there certainly seem to be some other agendas. Um, because, uh, for example, we see the 250 people um, who are described as Nisie Eidah. They don't seem to be Levim, and yet they're the ones who bring the Ketoret. And therefore, if we have a group of Levim who want to be Kohanim, we have Tatan Laviram who are accusing Moshe. These 250 people who are Nisie Eidah, they're princes, who exactly are they? And therefore, the Ibn Ezra claims that these are Bukhorim. They're Bukhorim who have lost their status. Once they were leaders of tribes, once they were leaders of families, not leaders of tribes, they were leaders of families, they were Bukhorim, they once served in a religious capacity, and now they're unemployed, now they've lost their religious status, they were semi-priests, and now they're nothing. That's how the, the Ibn Ezra explains the dynamic, that really the major point here is that the agitation comes from the Bukharim. I want to come back to this in a second. Whereas the Ramban claims this is totally different. The Ramban claims that after we came out of Egypt, nobody would ever even, you know, accept any sort of uh, critique of Moshe Rabbeinu. Moshe Rabbeinu was untouchable after the Exodus, after Har Sinai. But after Kivrota Ta'ava, after all of the problems and the complaints of Kivrota Ta'ava, after the Muraglim, Moshe's prestige, Moshe's uh, ratings in the opinion polls uh, plummeted and people feel they can start complaining against Moshe and that the immediate thing which instigated the rebellion here of Korach was actually the uh, failure of the Maraglim. So we see different strands um, in, in this rebellion. However, I would like to come to one strand which I think is one of the most central strands which I don't think I have um, articulated enough up to this point and that is the democratic strain of this rebellion I've mentioned the Levium who want to be Kornim I've mentioned Datam Ram who challenged Moshe's leadership but I haven't mentioned the opening line of the Parsha where it tells us that what did Korach come along and say he says um, and I quote um, they come against Moshe and Aharon and they say the following Rav Lachem, it's enough for you in other words you've taken too much leadership Ki kol kulam kadoshim. the whole community are holy Hashem, and in their midst is God Hashem. and why do you presume the role of leadership over the nation. Everyone is holy. There is a certain democratic strain here. And let me try and explain this um, in the light of what we've said. The Levim are saying, well, why should the Kohanim be some sort of elite? 
Even Datami Aviram is saying, Moshe, why do you set yourself up as leader? We have better leadership ideas. We want to put ourselves up for election. But uh, one group that might be really um, upset are the Bukhorim. The Bukhorim represent a, a very democratic uh, share of the of the leadership because if you think about it this way, if the Bukhorim are the, the firstborn, if the firstborn are the religious leadership, every family has a Bukhor. And that means that every family has a representative at the temple. Now, of course, this can allow for a certain amount of uh, corruption, but it also affords a great deal of representation, that everybody feels that they can get their cousin, their uncle, to bring their sacrifice. And they feel that uh, they are somehow represented in the in the hierarchy of the nation. And... Um, I have to say that this is an argument which I think from a contemporary perspective um, I have a great sympathy for. We don't live in an environment anymore where we have Kohanim. I mean, we have Kohanim. They do Birchat Kohanim on a daily basis and we accept that Bracha Ba'ahava. However, in our religious lives, um, when we live in a post-Temple uh, Judaism, um, the significance of being a Kohen or Levi is, is quite minimal. It, it, it is reduced to that very, very small ritual of Birchat Kohanim, not much more, maybe to Kriyat Torah. But uh, essentially it doesn't affect our whole status within Judaism. Everybody can become a Talmud Chacham. Keta Torah, Munach Baomed. Keta Torah is available to everybody. Everybody can become a Talmud Chacham. We live in a very democratic Judaism where everybody can take part um, in, in Limud Torah, everybody has access to tefillah. This system, which the people are complaining about, which is suddenly the Levim have been thrust into the Migdash and everybody else has been left out, um, is something that we can sympathize with. And um, I think this, in some sense, goes to the heart of, uh, of why this rebellion will not disappear. Let me try possibly to illustrate this by describing some of what Korach does or what Korach is and we'll refer a little bit to the comparison uh, with the Haftarah. Let me, let me, let me begin with a, with a statement of, of, uh, of Rashi. Rashi says, where did Korach get the funny idea to rebel. What, 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 what caused him to do it? And he says the following, it's in Pasuk Zion, he says, Korach Korach so intelligent, didn't he see this was going to fail, he was going to die? So he says, Tato. No, his eyes messed him up, because he saw, he saw great people coming from him, for example, Shmuel Shakul Kenegad Moshe Haron. We have the famous Pasuk, Moshe v'yaharon b'chonav. Moshe with his leadership and his prophecy. V'yaharon b'chonav and Aharon with his kahuna. U'shmuel b'korei shemon. With the rules of tikbolet, of parallelism, we're saying that Shmuel is equal to Moshe and Aharon. In other words, Shmuel, who is descended from Korach, somehow inspired Korach to rebel. Now, Chazal, when they're saying this, are telling us that there's something about Shmuel 
which seems to reflect Korach. Rashi's reading it, I mean, Rashi's reading it as if Korach saw Shmuel and got the idea, but I think if we read it starkly, we're saying that Shmuel reminds us of Korach. How does he remind us of Korach? Well, let's remind ourselves of the story of Shmuel. First of all, Shmuel presides over a period where there is no Mishkan. Mishkan is destroyed in Shiloh, and Shmuel takes on the role of national leader, which is the role of Moshe, but also the role of Kohen, because he offers up sacrifices, and he really functions in every single capacity. Um, so Shmuel really is the equivalent of Moshe and Haron. But I'd say more than that. Shmuel is the person who broke um, a broken cycle of leadership and broke the Kuhuna. And let me try and explain. For those of you who know a little bit of the uh, story of Nevi Mishonim, the Book of Shoftim describes a vicious cycle that Am Yisrael find it hard to break free from, which is that people constantly sinning, and then they're constantly punished, and the minute that they're punished, they cry to God, and then God saves them, and after God saves them, they become complacent and they sin again. And this goes round and round, constant invasion, constant war for 300 years. Who is the person who takes us out of the Shoftim cycle? Who is the person who stops this inexorable um, ebb and flow of war and invasion and then quiet for a little bit? The person who breaks it is, is Shmuel. Shmuel sees that the national situation is not going anywhere and he is the person who takes the nation to a new state and eventually sets up the Malchut. In other words, in the same way as in the Midbar we feel that we're a stalemate, Shmuel was the person who broke the stalemate of his era in the political sense. But if we come back to our topic, Shmuel also breaks the Kuhuna in a sense. The story which precedes Shmuel's leadership is the story of Eli. Uh, Eli and his sons, Chofni Pinchas, corrupt Kohanim. Chofni Pinchas used to take advantage of the uh, Mishkan service for their own needs their own uh, desires and it was Shmuel uh, and after the destruction of Shiloh the Kuhuna simply broke apart and Shmuel takes things in a much more positive direction leading the nation to responsible Avodat Hashem until the people really follow God and you can follow the story in the beginning first seven chapters of Shmuel and really see the way it works in fact um, the Haftarah this week also comes from Shmuel and refers to Shmuel passing on the leadership from himself to the to the king. Uh, what, what I'm saying is that uh, here we see an example where Shmuel really breaks the power of the Kohanim. And I have to say that, uh, as I mentioned, in, in today's Judaism, we, we don't have a special role for Levim or Kohanim. And it's not only in today's Judaism. There are many, many Makarot which see that uh, this mix of uh, Kohanim, Malchut, has to be divided up. It can't all be in the hands of B'nai Levi. There's a very famous Ramban in Bereshit Parak Mentet which says that the Chashmonaim should not, because they were Kohanim, should not have been kings. That the role of national government should be separated from the religious leadership. 
Um, this is not a contemporary uh, comment about Israeli politics, but the Ramban says it in Parak Memtet in chapter 49. There has to be a, a, a difference between the group who are running the temple and who are leading the country. Now, this is not true in the case of Korach. Likewise, uh, the Rambam in Hilchot Shmito Yovel quotes um, Sefer Yishayahu, and he says that Kol Ish anybody who wants to from all walks of the world, all religions, all nations, anybody who wants to come and dedicate their life to God and is straight with God and doesn't and just dedicates himself solely to God um, he becomes Kodesh Kodashim the Ramam says that uh, even non-Leviyim can almost adopt the status of Kohanim if they conduct themselves in that manner we have, we have several sources which seem to indicate that there is a possibility for people outside the circle of Levi to function at the heart of uh, at the heart of Jewish existence at the heart of the temple I will mention just one uh, one other reference which is something that we read on a frequent basis where it says uh, the end of Yishayahu in Parak Samach Vav it talks about future times, Mashiach times but it says that we're talking about different nations all different uh, goyim, and when it says mehem I will take them for koanim lalviim. In other words, in our tradition, we have a possibility that uh, people beyond the family of Levi can be koanim. Where am I going with all of this? I believe that there are obviously certain strands in, in the Korach Rebellion which were highly mistaken. Obviously the critique of uh, Datan Aviram against Moshe was uh, totally out of order. Moshe was not to blame for the Meraglim. The people were. And that is exactly why those people go straight down Sha'ola to their death. Likewise, it is against the Halakha to take up the Ketoret unless you are Mibnei Aharon. We've already seen the case of Nadav and Avihu who brought inappropriate Ketoret, incense, and were killed. And therefore these people are killed too. However, some of the spirit of this rebellion, the spirit of the national democratic strain, the sense that, why should there be this caste society, this class society? Why, can't, why does it need to be that just this family of Levi have all the leadership in their hands? Why can other people not have a say? Why can other people not help with the leadership? Why can't it be that everybody can have equal access to the harbour of the Beit HaMikdash? That is an idea which contains a kernel of truth to it. I think anybody who has a liberal mind, a democratic conscience, and it might be that democracy is not the ideal system. I don't know who he spoke about saying uh, that you know democracy is the worst, <laughs> the worst of the systems, but it's it's a system. Um, there is some. I I believe I started off my question by saying, how can it be that this rebellion never dies down? I think it never dies down because it has something true. It has something valuable. It's true that Nadav and Aviyu were out of order. 
it's true that Korach was a complete charlatan for taking different people with different agendas and stringing them into a wall of opposition. The Levian were totally mistaken, and yet there was still something behind this rebellion which was something holy, which was something powerful. Now here I would like to relate to two final points. The first is a point mentioned by Rav Kook in his Sefer Orot, where Rav Kook says it's fine for people to want to be involved, for people to call, but you can't demand that as every civilian is holy, if they don't go through any process of purification and of refinement, if they don't go through a process of of growth. Uh, what I'm referring to here is the fact that it's very nice to claim access to the Migdash national leadership, but every Tom, Dick and Harry off the street um, can't take up that role unless they have been through a process of um, of preparation, um, a process whereby they um, work up the skills, and in this case, the Kedusha to become holy. Uh, one of the thinkers who famously championed this idea was Yishayahu Leibovitch, where Yishayahu Leibovitch pointed out that they say, Korach says, Ki kol kulam Hashem. We're all holy. We all have a divine given right. We have religious rights that we be allowed to serve in the Mikdash. And he says, well, you didn't look at the parsha beforehand. All the Mepharshim connect this parsha with the previous one, where it says, um, it's talking about the tzitzit, keep all the mitzvot, remember all the mitzvot, and perform them. When you do all of my commands, then v'yitem kudoshim lelokechem. How do you gain holiness? There isn't automatic holiness. What there is, is that uh, when you do the mitzvot, you are holy. In other words, nobody has automatic rights. You have rights to the kedusha, to the, to the kuna. You have rights to be able to serve God when you have created holiness in yourself. And how do you create those at that holiness? You create it through mitzvot. That's the first point. The second point is a point of motivation. And this I uh, spoke about today with uh, Rabbi Michael Hattin. Um, the Mishnah in Masechet Avot tells us that the big problem with the Machloket Korach Va'arato was that it was not L'Shem Shamayim. It was not for holy purposes. And what do we mean by that? And I think on the most elementary level, there are many explanations of this Mishnah. But at the most elementary level, I would say it's this. The democratic ideal, the ideal that the idea that everybody should be able to play a part, play a role, which is a very powerful idea, is there with a certain condition that it is not self-serving. Um, the question is one of motivation. Korach's problem is that he is a manipulator, he's a political mover and shaker, he's a charlatan. He promises to solve everyone's problems. He is only interested in his own power. He he can't possibly solve Datanavayram's problems at the same time as serving, solving the problems of the 215 Nasim. And once he has um, destroyed 
the leadership structure of Moshe and Aaron, what's he going to do then? Have no leadership? No. Korach is going to become leader, and he's going to be worse than Moshe and Aaron. In other words, part of the problem with the Korach rebellion is not the idea of Kolei Kudoshim. The problem is Korach, Vayikach, Korach. The Korach is coming along with the wrong idea. It is not the idea of that everybody is holy, that everybody should have a kesher with Hashem, that everybody should be able to be in touch with, with, with Kedushah, that is the source of the problem, but uh, rather the person who is driving the rebellion. So let me try and summarize what I've tried to talk about in Sheol. I said that one of the things which troubles me about the parasha is the fact that the rebellion never dies down. And I think the source of that uh, is the fact that there are real issues here. There are real issues of people's participation, of uh, a sense that somehow it's not fair, that Moshe and Aaron are getting all the uh, closeness to God, all the limelight, all the decision-making, and other people not. And this has a, a value. Um, but what we try to illustrate, and we try to separate out the issues, and we, we, we discover that this was really very much alive in this rebellion. But what eventually we said was, that, uh, and in this regard, by the way, Shmuel really makes a difference. Shmuel is a Levi, but he adopts the role of a Kohen. Shmuel is a, a Levi, but he takes on the national leadership. In other words, it is possible. It is possible. But the question is one of motivation. The, the, the Shmuel, when Shmuel leads the nation, Shmuel is not looking for his own limelight. Shmuel is an amazing leader, and he's an amazing leader because every single year he goes around teaching the Torah. It says that he goes around through a whole cycle around the country in order to teach Torah and influence the people to Hashem. He's not there making rallies to uh, have everybody hail his leadership. He's there in order to develop the Yirat Shamayim and the, the national observance of the nation. It says... And he judged everyone, and by judging it means he encouraged, he taught, he led people to serve God. The problem with Korach's rebellion is that it is self-serving. It's about me. It's about my power. It's about my involvement. The success that Shmuel makes of his almost democratic form of leadership, the success that Shmuel makes is because he is interested in leading the nation to uh, a sense of Shmirat Mitzvot and Yirat Shamayim. I think we'll leave it there for this week. Thank you very much. Shabbat Shalom.